haven't found anything, any aspect of self-improvement that's not contained within this framework. It just breaks it down into, look, these are the areas that you can improve and you can do it 1% a day. And if you keep doing that, like you'll really start to see changes rather than making excuses about what you can't do. Welcome everyone to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to introduce to you today's guest, Robert Glazer. Robert is the founder and CEO of global performance marketing agency, Acceleration Partners. Now, his company has received numerous industry and company culture awards from places like Glassdoor, AdAge, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine. Bob himself is the author of international bestseller, Performance Partnerships, and is currently anticipating the release of his next book, Elevate, which comes out very soon on October 1st. And after listening to this conversation, you are going to want to mark your calendar. Bob is a regular contributor for Entrepreneur, Forbes, and Inc., just to name a few. And his inspirational Friday Forward newsletters are read by more than 100,000 leaders around the world each week. In this conversation, Bob and I dive into you know, what it means to have a good company culture and why he doesn't believe that Acceleration Partners necessarily has the best culture out there, despite constantly winning these awards from AdAge, Glassdoor, etc., for being one of the best places to work. After that, Bob and I dive into his new book, Elevate, and really what he teaches in the book around how to increase your capacity and up-level your life, and how you can not only do that for yourself, but also help your team to do the same thing, thereby elevating your entire company. I was blown away by Bob and the insights that he shared, so this is certainly not one to miss, especially if you are a leader in your organization. Now, before we jump in, I want to remind all of you to make sure you're following me on Instagram. That's the best spot to make sure you're staying up with what's going on with the show. Find out who my guests are each week, as well as get a taste of my own life and entrepreneurial journey. You can find me at Dorothy Ilson and be sure and send me a DM and let me know that you heard this episode. Now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Robert Glazer. Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks, Dorothy. Excited to be here. And I'm especially excited to have you as we're um, you know so close to the launch of your next book. And so you know I really want to dive into what that's about and what people can expect. But before we do that, kind of set the stage for me. I'm hoping that you could share you know what was life like for you growing up and what were the beliefs around money and success that were instilled in you as a child. That's a that's a good question. That's not usually the first question I get, but that's a good question. <laughs> Thank um, you. So, uh, yeah, beliefs. So, life for me, and and you know, I think it's interesting. I've had a, a a a good opportunity. My parents just sold their house, and my mom came over and like dumped me. You know, saved everything from my childhood and like dumped me with all of it, like all of my report cards and memorabilia, and sort of all you know, re- reading all the report cards is pretty interesting because I think you know sometimes we have some revisionist 
history um, on, on ourselves or we think we were happy and we're not or we think we weren't happy and we were. But I mean, I was a pretty happy-go-lucky kid, always creative, always playing around with stuff. Um, I think um, I struggled, you know, um, I think like most entrepreneurs sort of heading into that middle and high school years where it becomes about sort of academics and and my definition of learning and the things that I like just wasn't academic memorization. And and I had a very hard time paying attention. I, you know, later diagnosed with ADD, again, it all kind of sort of makes sense. And so I, I, school just wasn't that interesting to me. I did enough to do fine, um, but I, I didn't really excel. I, and I think this is true for a lot of entrepreneurs. The things that you are really like best at, I, I, I think at those ages, society encourages you not to do, right? These are the kids selling candy in school like I was or selling homework in school, which I did not do. Um, <laughs> or you know, having creative ideas or saying, hey, we should like do this this way and not follow the same thing that we've, we've done every year. So I, you know, talking and hearing a lot of other entrepreneurs and their story, I think it is a, it is a familiar path. I do talk a lot, a little bit about that in the book. But, you know, I, I have a very tight-knit family. Uh, my parents very values-focused. I, I would say, I think we talk about it more. In some ways, they just demonstrated it more um, in terms of, you know, what they did and always in the community service and giving back and, and sort of how, how they expected us to act and, and, and behave. So, yeah, I think that was... I, I, I really didn't realize that I loved learning until I was about 20 years old. And I was able to... I think this correlated with going abroad for six months, doing some internships in business, and then being kind of done with my like prereq and able to take the classes that I wanted to take. So I, ca- I came back my junior and senior year and got almost a 4.0 because it didn't matter how hard the class was. Like I was just taking it and loving it. And if I liked it, I do great at it. And if I don't like it, I, I can't pay attention. And that's been the story of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting how you frame the, the piece about school because I think for so many entrepreneurs, all of the messages that you're getting is that, you know, you're not good at this. You don't fit in, you know, you, you're not, you're not successful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, did you, did you recognize yourself as entrepreneurial when you were in high school or was that something that you didn't really realize was, you know, kind of the, the thing until you were older? No, because I, I don't come from like an entrepreneurial bone. There's a lot of creativity in my family. My mom is extremely creative, was always doing creative stuff with us. But my, so, so what's interesting is my brother, my, and we can get into the psychology of this. My brother, my sister, and I each run our own companies. My parents each only had one job their entire careers. Interesting. So, <laughs> now, it doesn't seem to be connected. I, I think I can make the connection, but, but it doesn't, right? That seems, it seems counter, counterintuitive, right? So I, part of entrepreneurship is that you need someone usually in your family or someone to be like, hey, like, I know what this is. Like, here's how I can reinforce it. There's a guy, Dave Rendell, who has this great book, The Freak Factor. He talks about, he, he has this joke on stage where he says, you know, I now get, I get paid to stand up and talk, $10,000 to get pay, paid to stand up and talk for an hour. All I got told was to sit down and shut up when I was a kid. And if someone had said to me, you can get paid to stand up and talk and be loud for $10,000 an hour, I would have been like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> right. 
Oh my goodness. Well, so, you know, I want to touch a little bit on, uh, you know, really just what you created with Acceleration Partners, because it's incredibly impressive. I know that, you know, your company has been heralded as, um, you know, one of the best places to work by, you know, places like Glassdoor, AdAge. So I'm curious, you know, for the listeners who are out there building a business, what is it about you or about you know the the culture that you created um, you know at your agency that that led to that? I mean, how do you craft a culture where you know people are just so excited about you know where they get to work every day? Yeah, and I you know I speak about this a lot, but one of the things I always say is like I think AP is a great place to work for a certain group of people. I actually don't think it's a great culture for for everyone. And I think that is the that is sort of a, a key to the 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 answer there. So, as we were building the business and getting bigger, I really wasn't even sure if I wanted to build a business. And and when I made the decision to kind of scale, because I was sort of at wit's end and with doing everything, kind of million in revenue, ten people. And when I made the decision to scale, I was like, I don't want this company and HR and all the stuff that I hate about companies and the things I didn't like. And I was like, all right, well, if we're gonna do this, like I'm gonna do it differently. And and you know, I went through some deep leadership training, I think was really able to understand my core values and authentically what I wanted, what I valued and sort of translate that into the company. So, you know, what I always say is like, we are, we are a great place to work for the right person. We're, we're on a mission to find people who really match our values and, and where we're going. But there's fundamental things. And so I think what we do well is we do what we think and we think what we say and we do what we say and like they're really aligned. So when we talk about our core values, they're how we hire, they're how we decide to go away from people, they're how we promote, they're not wall art. You know, the things that we say that we value, we value and 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 we do what we say. Now, what's interesting is you can hire people who like the core values, they like the sound of it, but they come to work there and you actually find out it's not them. So people love own it, right? But the core value, it's just you own it. But I can tell you, like they come and they make their first mistake. And we're like, so can you write up a debrief and everyone went wrong and they are blaming everyone else. And you know, I'm like, that's not own it. You know, blaming, and, and and so what you can actually see what it looks like versus our best people are like, even if the whole thing was external, they say, here's what I could have done better, here's what the company can learn from it, you know, and and all that stuff. So I think we're just really um, consistent around that. And I, and I think that, you know, if someone, I would hope that someone comes to AP, you know, and loves it, they're aligned to that. And if it doesn't work, they would say, you know what, that just wasn't for me. Uh, it was the wrong team. Like I'm a, I'm a running back and that's a passing offense, but that's a passing offense and they pass. And like, that's what they, that's what they do. The, the cultures that drive people crazy, you know, are the ones that have this Dilbert stuff on the wall or say one thing and do another. Like, I think we're consistent. Like, I could tell you if you're someone that like is a raging extrovert who wants to be in an office, who wants stability and doesn't like and, and doesn't like clients, you'd probably think we are a terrible culture, right? I, because we are, we are super supportive. We are fast paced. We are client service. People work from home, like lots of change. Like if those aren't things that make you comfortable, you you won't like working for here. You might might not think we're duplicitous because you say, oh, that's what it is. So we really try our best in the hiring process to play this matching game and be like, look, cards on the table. This is who we are. This is who will do well here. This is who not. When people come to work for me, I say, this is why you will love working for me. And this is why you will 
hate working for me and 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 try to find those right people because I, I I think there are things about a culture paying people well benefits not all this ping pong and coffee machine stuff that San Francisco has us thinking is is culture um, but th- th- there's some things that we think are are, are fundamentally good uh, but I actually think good or great for a person is really about a match and a fit and and I know there's a lot of like attacks on cultural fit these days I actually. I disagree with with that. I don't. I don't think you want an echo chamber, or you don't want a cult. But I think whether you're picking your friends, you're picking your social group, you're picking your spouse. Like we are tribal, and you you want to be around people not the same, but at least they share values and ambitions. Like if you, it's very hard to have close friends or spouse or otherwise who have totally different values and completely different ambitions. You can be different. I'm not saying you can't be different, but like. You know, my, I would say my wife and I disagree about a lot, but on the big things, we're aligned. If we weren't aligned on the big things, I, I don't, I don't know how that would work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I actually want to, if I can, transport you back to even a little bit earlier than kind of where you you started that story. You know, I don't know if you know this, but I actually have a digital marketing agency, and you know, we're in the Rough place life. now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yes, yes and no. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, I'm actually in a pretty similar place to a lot of the listeners in terms of stage of business where, you know, we, we haven't hit that seven figure mark, you know, we're closer to kind of the half million, uh, half million mark with, you know, a, a couple people on a team, you know, like for me specifically, there's, um, you know, basically three of us. Um, and so, you know, in looking to go from that place to, you know, getting past the the seven figure mark, I think one of the challenges that that I certainly see is just the difficulty of finding good people and specifically this push and pull between, you know, the the person you want to hire and the person you feel like you can afford to hire. And so how do you address, you know, kind of that stage of of business, um, you know, where it, it really does take kind of a, a big leap to get to that next step and and do things differently? Yeah, I think you, to me, I always say great culture is constructed of, of three things and two modifiers, which is vision. You have a vision about where you're going, you have real core values, and then, and then you have goals and targets that bring the values and the vision to life. Because if you have a vision to be X, then you need to have kind of targets to, 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 to do that. And, and at the same time, you have consistency and clarity. So you have clear goals, clear vision, consistent goals, consistent vision, consistent um, values. So I, if you want to punch above your weight and talent, which I think is the core of that, which is like what I can afford versus what I need, people, you know, we always share that with prospective employees. And, and a lot of people, like if you want someone to take a chance on you, then they need to really feel that they're aligned and that's the place that they would be. So if you have a compelling vision saying, hey, you know, I know we're only a half million, but here's how we're going to be the leading X, you know, digital agency and we're going to be at, uh, you know, 10 million in the next five years, and we're gonna be 100 people, and this is what it's gonna look like. People resonate with that. I mean, that that becomes some, you know, that's more than a job and and a paycheck to them. So we, the right person resonates with it. Correct. Right. The right yeah. person resonates, and we share that with we share our three year vivid visions, and and now that we're at the end of one, and people can see that it's like we did all this crazy stuff. Um, that I think that really helps you attract the right types of of people. That makes sense. Well, you know, jumping into really what I'm, I'm most excited to talk with you about your new book. So Elevate, it's coming out on October 1st. And my understanding is that it's, it's really about giving people the, you know, the tools that they need to 
expand what you call your capacity and to achieve their goals and be a better leader. So, um, you know, would you say that, you know, that's, is that what you see the book as being, you know, talk to me about, you know, who this book is for and what you think, you know, people are going to get from it. Yeah, I mean, this book is for anyone, and also really, I think, for companies and 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 leaders. In terms of, I think a lot of times we tend to look around and we see uh, a high achiever, uh, someone doing a lot, and we're like, "What? What do they have that I don't have?" And we look sort of comparatively, like, "What are they doing that I'm, you know, not doing?" I, I think a lot of times we think they have some advantage, and really, they when you dig into these high performers, consistent themes kind of come out and they, they are, the, the truth is probably they have elevated, they are an elevated version of themselves and we have not lived to our full potential. So when I started writing these Friday forward emails um, and, and to my company, and then they started to get shared all over the world and I find people writing me from Australia or Portugal or you know Singapore telling me that they were reading this stuff, they were making changes to their life, they were kind of getting better. Same thing for our team. We also had embarked on the strategy of like making our team members better holistically, feeling like if we're growing 30% a year and then we want them to stay with us, like we just need them to get better. And that time management and prioritization and health, these are holistic things. Like you don't feel terrible at work and then go home and feel good at home. You know, you tend to be the the same person. So so what happened was I sat down to write this compilation book and then People told me they don't like compilation books, um, <laughs> publishers. Someone told me, like, what's the story here? And I started looking at it. I started looking at all these people and these high performers I had met. And it sort of illuminated, and, and all the stories of Friday Forward, these four elements of capacity that I just saw consistently in all elements of self-improvement. And while people wanted, it's great to have the motivation to be better. And it's great to put those posters on your wall. Like, I actually think this is the formula and the framework for how you get better and improve your life and your ability to lead. And at the same time, it's the playbook for how you can do the same for, for others. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty simple framework, but it, I, I've, I haven't found anything, any aspect of self-improvement that's not contained within this framework. It just breaks it down into, look, these are the areas that you can improve and you can do it 1% a day. And if you keep doing that, like you'll really start to see changes rather than making excuses about what you can't do. Mm-hmm. So what are these four elements of capacity? Yeah. So the first is spiritual uh, and that is not religious, but that is what are your values and what do you want most? So when you you talk to a hundred people at a party and you ask them what their core personal core values are and 98% won't tell you and two of them will rattle them off, start asking those two what they're doing with their life and how they're doing. And you will find that they're pretty locked in and high perform because they've identified who they are and what they want. So most of us know these things. We feel them when when they're crossed. We just don't have the labels to like... I would say like you're driving the car, you're hitting a bumper. You're driving the car, you're hitting a bumper. If you know where the lines are painted, like you're going to get there much, much faster. So, um, And I think these actually go in a logical order. So you have spiritual... Intellectual to me is sort of how you upgrade your processor. This is how do you learn, plan, execute with discipline, you know, change your day, change your routine, improve your ability to do something. Don't make the same mistake, you know, two, three, four times because you haven't up. So to me, it's like it's not about doing more, it's about like up- upgrading your processor um, so you can do the task more efficient and, and with less energy, um, whatever you have to do. So it's think about what we know what we want to do. 
how do we plan, be smarter, be more organized? Um, physical is what it sounds like. And I think physical offers the most direct understanding of, of, of all the capacity buildings. Like if I lift this weight every day for eight weeks, at the end of eight weeks, I can lift more weights with less energy, right? So that same principle applies, but we understand it there. So it's, this is our health, kind of what we eat, it's sleep, it's managing our stress. We are all using you know, our, our biological flight or fight, fight or flight mechanism like 24 hours a day. And you know, social media and stuff is not helping with that. So we're, we're kind of tired and stressed and that can either act as an anchor on your performance or... or or an accelerant. And then the last is emotional. So for me, emotional is like how, if the first three are really internal, this is how do you relate to the world around you? So events that you don't control, people, the quality of your relationships. The example I always give, you know, if, if, if you and I meet each other at nine o'clock in the morning and we have a pretty difficult conversation, this is the difference between doing more or, or, or smarter, you know, because this is capacity building thing is not about just volume. It's about the right things and how you do them. So you and I walked in the office. We have an altercation at 9 a.m. I've really worked on my resilience and emotional capacity in my relationships. And by 9.05, like that conversation is done, right? I'm back to my desk. I've finished the thing. Like I move on. I, I closed three deals that day or whatever it is. You go back to your desk and you are just replaying this and angry and telling everyone else about it and bringing them down all day and you don't get your stuff done. This is what happens more often than not. Like we we have the same 24 hours in a day. Like everyone who thinks that someone has this advantage, I just don't think we're clear about how they use it. So, but part of the, again, building that muscle is I've realized the personal cost to me of, of these things and letting it linger. Or maybe I was upset for five minutes. I went outside and I did meditation for five minutes. I took a couple of deep breaths and I, you know, I moved on. Um, but but that's this stuff like adds up and and, and cascades. And just one last example, if I'm gonna t- if I tie like um, intellectual into that, like let's pretend now one of the reasons I was able to do that is because I've actually re- listened to five podcasts, read you know all these books on having a difficult conversation and how to frame it and how to prepare for it, and, and so I, I I actually just improved my n- not only how I reacted but I went into it with a better system plan or operating system than you know than than you did. And sorry, sorry to use you as the negative. <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, no, I think it's it's an important idea because you know when something happens, you know, you you get into a situation with a coworker or even you know someone who cuts you off on the street, you know, while you're driving to work. Right. And you can you know, just doing that for three hours, or you can just like move on. Exactly. It's this idea of you know poisoning your own drink and expecting the other person to get sick. You know, the only person you're really harming is yourself, and so. You know, I'm curious. All right. So spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional. Did I get that right? Got it right. So say someone is, you know, looking at those four elements and they're saying, you know, okay, I got to work on all of these. My physical health is not where it needs to be. I don't understand my values. Do you recommend that someone, you know, sort of pick one area and focus on that first and then move to the next? Or is it more a better approach to kind of take all four and try to improve them at the same time? Uh, I, you know, I have an image in the book and I have tips at the end of each chapter on the stuff you can do today, like something you can do tomorrow, one small thing or something you can do over the next couple months. So really like what you want to do. But I have this picture of this ball. And when you think about these things, like it, the four of them, they're quadrants like, and they have mass. And so if they're all getting better together, they get bigger and it gets more momentum. If you're really off on one, you have kind of a, a wobbly ball. 
but I would actually say that I, I think um, spiritual is probably the one that's a little bit of a bigger long-term project. You can start on it, but but it, it you're starting towards solving something bigger. The other ones actually are all about just doing the work to get better at it, right? So I, I, I think you could start all of those in a day. You could, you know, if it's intellectual, you could put down Facebook for a couple of hours and, and, and read something or get up a little earlier or work on your morning routine. You know, you can then make sure you, you ran that day. You could also, you know, decide to um, make plans with someone you haven't who really is lifts you up and, and inspires you and, and skip your next plan with someone who is just always like you meet with them to catch up. And every time you go, you feel kind of worse after meeting with them. So I, I, I actually, I think spiritual capacity is, is something most people take them a couple months to kind of lock that down. But these other things, the more you work on them a little bit, the better you'll get. The biggest learning from all this stuff is, is how much small incremental improvements actually really add up. This is not like some system where you come in and like wholesale throw out your life and do all this stuff over. Like I, I actually think the more real gains are to be had by, by just putting a little pressure on each of these areas each day. Well, you know, one thing that I think is, you know, especially exciting about this book is that you're not only sharing, you know, how to develop these elements of capacity in yourself, but also how to how to develop them in your team. Uh, and one thing I'm curious to know is for you specifically, you know, having come from running a business that has remote employees, I think that is it's a big challenge, right? Because when you're in an office together, you get more of those, you know, just sort of um little little moments little conversations that build the relationship versus with an a remote employee and a remote team you know you're typically hopping on a zoom call just like this and there's you know there's a purpose there's always a purpose to that call and you kind of do a little small talk and then you jump into the purpose and i think you you miss out on a lot of just the relationship building that allows you to really develop someone and help them along so how do you cultivate this kind of growth in a team, um, specifically when you are working remotely? Well, I, I think because of that disadvantage, it forces you to be intentional. Like, for example, like our onboarding program is like world class. I mean, your first three weeks are scripted out to the hour because we can't just leave you sitting there with nothing to do. Think about how many companies I can tell you how many companies I worked at when I was 22, my first job. You just show up and they're like, oh, Bob's here. Uh, hey, Bob. Uh, why don't you uh, shadow Dorothy today? You know, and and and, and yeah. so it, it, it actually it, it forces us to be more intentional about that stuff. So we don't have those. We actually we have an app that sets people up on like random calls to talk to each other, and it's called Donut. I think kind of uh, like almost, almost like this, just to do that. But but I think we're intentional. We do a big summit every year. And and with everyone, and we we go deep on that. I think you can also pass someone in the office every day for the year and never have a real meaningful conversation or never really know much about them. Like maybe both of our brothers are sick with the same thing, and we never knew that, right? Because we're always just shooting the whatever, being being transactional. Also, you know, there's a lot of data coming out now on how distracting these open office workplaces is, and everyone bothering everyone all day long. To the point where they like they have to sit there and wear noise canceling headphones and 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 you know slack each other. I think we give people time to really focus and do some quiet work and get their work done, and then also have uh, that social interaction as well. But we but, but it does it forces us. We, we turn I think we turn a weakness into a strength, and that 
we have a process and an intentionality around everyone. Even if the process is about random Zoom lunch dates, like there's a process on it. Right. Yeah. Just being intentional, I think, is the start to improving just about just about anything. So you know, I just couldn't be more excited about this because I think that what's so great about your book is that it applies to to really anyone regardless of what stage they're in. If they're still in the kind of solopreneur phase where, you know, they need to work on these things for themselves and think about, you know, how they are going to be intentional about growing a team, um, you know, from the beginning or also for someone who is running a seven-figure business and has a team and knows that, you know, they they need to improve, uh, you know, in these areas both for themselves and and for the company as a whole. So, uh, you know, so excited about this book and, you know, Definitely for everyone listening who wants to pick this up on October 1st, where do they go? How do they get their hands on it? Sure. They can go to robertglazer.com slash elevate or you'll see, you'll see links um, for the book on, on there as well. Amazing. Well, changing tracks a little bit as we wrap up the conversation here, Bob. Um, you know, I know that giving back is something that's really important to you. And so, you know, I'm hoping that you could talk a little bit about, you know, how fulfillment plays into, you know, everything that you talk about in Elevate. And also tell us a little bit about your work with Build Boston. Sure. So yeah, I mean, actually one of the things I talk about in the book in 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 terms of emotional capacity is is that is gratitude, right? And I think people that are that are grateful and are thinking about what they have and the other people they can help are, are much less worried about negativity and where they're getting screwed and that the world is is out to get them. So I think that's an important uh, mindset. And you know, I try to try to combine my giving back to the core values and the thing that are important to us. Um, you know, the, most people are trying to solve something that, you know, they didn't have or that affected them personally. I mean, that's how people become advocates for stuff. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm donating a percentage of the book profits to, to build. It's a just phenomenal organization that takes um, high school kids who are in, um, you know, schools, inner city schools that might have graduation rates of, of, of 60%. And it sort of it adds an entrepreneurial curriculum to them where freshman year, they work on creating a business. It whittles down from a bunch of different businesses to one and you have a team there and they have mentors and they enter sort of a shark tank business plan competition with the other schools and someone wins in front of 800 people. And we actually had Kevin O'Leary there this year as, as one of the judges. And, and you know it's like a sports final, but 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 it's for business. And when you talk to the kids running these businesses, you know they will say, "Hi, I'm Bob. I'm the CEO." And someone will say, "Hi, I'm Dorothy. I'm the CMO." And then it, they start to identify with these roles, understand where their education connects. Right? You can see how the CMO now starts paying more attention in English as they're writing, copying, and text. So the CFO now wants to understand kind of math and finance. So it just it just provides a lot more context for their education and gives them sort of this confidence that they have a future career and the the best you know a lot of nonprofits these days really have a problem even though it sounds amazing whatever they're doing they have a problem proving it right they have a problem how, how do I know that me doing this with this group actually impacts outcomes and the thing about build is like you're talking about you take the same school and you take a bunch of kids and you add a different piece to it and I think. The kids who stay with the program all four years in those schools graduate well into the 90, 90th percentile. Wow. 
Unbelievable. Well, I just think that it's it's incredible the way that you are, you know, sharing, uh, you know, all of your talents, you know, with these kids and and helping them to have, uh, you know, the the kind of opportunity that a lot of people take for granted. So thank you for that, and you know, thank you for sharing with us, you know, everything about Elevate coming out. So you know, for anyone listening, robertglazer.com/slash Elevate. That's the link to get the book. Yep. And then can they also sign up for the uh, the Friday Forward post there as well, the email? Yeah, they, they can, and it just moved. So it's actually now, it's new home is at robertglazer.com. So if you Google Friday Forward, you'll usually find it. But uh, you can, at robertglazer.com, you'll find uh, the book, my podcast, and, and Friday Forward. Incredible. Well, Robert, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Dorothy. All right, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to genuinely thank you for giving me this gift of your time and attention. I know how valuable that is, and so it truly means the world to be able to spread this message with you. Now, if you are getting value from this podcast, the most helpful thing you can do is to leave a five-star review and share this with your friends. Post a screenshot to your Instagram stories or even text the link to someone specific that you think would find value in this also. So with that, I hope this episode has inspired you to do well and do good. And I'll see you back here next week.